What's up, everybody? This is Rafael Garcia back for another edition of the MMA Ratings Podcast. It is Thursday, October 19th, and man, this year just kind of flown by, but you know, we're back here for another day to talk, another evening, I should say, to talk all things MMA, and we have kind of a full slate to get down and rap about because we have two events this weekend. And we have uh, quite a bit of news to go over from this past week. Some pretty interesting topics. And my partner in crime, Shawan Humes, will be joining us. He said in four minutes. So let's hold him to that. Four minutes, guys. That means by 8.05, he should be on this, this line and in the show. So with that in mind, before we get there, I just want to, as always, say thank you for taking the time to listen to the show and um, like and share our content on you can find us here on YouTube as well you can follow us on iTunes and like our content there and on Stitcher and SoundCloud as always you can check us out and listen to our content be sure to share it across your social media spectrum we appreciate you doing so we appreciate all the con uh, all the comments even the ones that are pretty rude sometimes we see those every now and then on our um, live chats but you know that that's, that's just how it goes the internet is the place where humanity goes to die it seems like so yeah we get some of those ridiculous comments and also um I stumbled upon this week. I guess we should finally pat ourselves on the back, as in, like, Mama, we finally made it, because I found a, another YouTube channel that has been pirating some of our work. They're basically stripping our shows and putting them up on their uh, channel. I don't, I don't know if it's a fan site or whatever it may be, but found that this week, so that was pretty interesting, pretty uh, intriguing to find. So we'll be talking about that. Not talking about it, but I will be talking, reaching out to them to get some of our stuff taken down but either way you know that's neither here nor there where we are back to talk about mma and there's definitely plenty to talk about so i want to begin first i have a couple of things i actually want to add to the agenda for tonight's show but we're going to be talking about mma weight cutting which is a, an issue that continues to rear its ugly head so we will be talking about that i want to talk about uh Obviously, the fight cards from this week. I want to talk about the Chris Cyborg Holly Holm rivalry that's developing. I'm still surprised that the UFC has not gotten that fight together, but I want to talk about that. I want to talk about a couple of Dana White comments too, as well, because he's had praise. He's once again given Ronda Rousey a bunch of praise, still talking highly about her, and he also has some pretty strong words about John Jones this past week as well. So we're going to talk about that and just talk about a couple of different things. So Schwanda said he'll be on in a second. It's 8.04. So remember, we're going to hold him to that 8.05 um, timeline. So let's see, we're going to start right at the top with the MMA, the idea of weight cutting in MMA and this growing, I guess, movement, I won't say movement, but this growing idea that adding more weight classes would help. And while I understand the idea behind it, you know, you think that adding in 
additional weight classes would help put some puts uh, it would help some of the large gaps in between weight classes. And while I get that, there's also going to always be the uh, I guess the the there's going to be a bunch of problems there. This isn't solving weight cutting isn't a one swing of the stick type of fix. You got to do a lot of different things. Um, it's kind of like you know we talk about crime in an area, we talk about poverty, we talk about racism. It's not just you you do one thing. Um, not just like you would do one thing. You have to take multiple steps. And you have to figure out and, and solve uh, a whole bunch of problems before you solve the overall problem. So with weight cutting, you know, you have you have multiple problems that need to be addressed and kind of understood before fighters are put in a better position to manage their weight. And again, this isn't just a just make some more weight classes and, and it'll be solved. It's, it's much more than that. And we're definitely going to talk about that. I personally I was looking at this conversation because it's come up with the idea, I think it was California, is putting out the idea of adding more weight classes. They wanted to add a 65, a 75, a 195, and I think a 215 maybe, but there was there was talk of adding those weight classes. Uh, Dana White UFC has already gone on the record to say that they're not adding any more weight classes. I don't blame them. If it was me personally, I would think that there's space to add one between 55 and 70. I think there's space to add one there. And so that would be the 165 weight class. You move 170 to 175 and then maybe add a 195 weight class between 205 and um, 185. That one is kind of sketchy. Yeah, 195. That one's kind of sketchy. The bigger guys, I don't think you really need to add a weight class there. Um, because you really don't see or hear too much about the weight weight issues there. Weight issues tend to be at the lower um, at the lower scales. I mean, we see the Ray Borgs, we see the John Linekers, we see the Kevin Lees. So many guys that have Kelvin Gastelum. So many guys that have had weight cutting issues on the lower end of the spectrum. So you would think that that's where the problem solving needs to go, and I think that that's where the uh, the it should happen. And I wouldn't be I wouldn't be upset with a 165 weight class and bumping up um, 170 to 175. But in reality, Sorry about that there, but in reality, the honest—that's um, where a lot of those, a lot of those weight struggles are coming. When you look at the lower um, weight class, you kind of see them doing that with the women now. That they, they've added, they're adding in the flyweight division to try to give them some buffer because that 125, excuse me, that 115, 135 um, gap was was crazy.
So I think it'll be interesting. And what and there are other steps that I think that should come into play when it when it's time to talk about weight cutting. Um, I don't. I'm not opposed to the idea of guys being checked for maintaining their weight during, I don't want to say during the off season, but in between fights. I actually trained with a guy now who fights at 135, 135 pounds. And we were having a conversation the other day and he was weighing near 170 and he has a fight in December. I mean, we looked at him like, are you kidding me right now? Because that's, I mean, that's almost 40 some odd pounds that he may have to find himself needing to cut between now and December. And, you know, granted, people are athletes when they get into that weight cutting mode and get into that heavy training, weight begins to fall off. But that's still dangerous. I think you would be hard pressed to find a doctor anywhere that would say it's not a major risk to go down 40 pounds in such a way in like eight weeks or, or 10 weeks. So I think I wouldn't be opposed to uh, weight cutting measures being managed in between fights. Now that comes up, that brings up the question: Well, who pays for it? The, does the commission pay for it? Are you looking at organizations to begin paying for it? Because that that's a struggle there. Like you can't expect the UFC to pay for a service to basically do do what USADA does, but do it on a weight by weight on a weight cutting basis. So that's one aspect of it. There's also, I, I'm going to absolutely monkey stomp, Stone Cold Steve Austin stomp the idea of same day weigh-ins. That's not, that's not a, that shouldn't even be a thing. It shouldn't even be a thing. Like, cause I, I think of, I mean, I remember my time back in high school trying to make same day weigh-ins and that was just bonkers so I couldn't imagine the idea of doing same day weigh-ins for MMA and that does not stop the fighters from taking their um, taking their extreme weight cutting practices still just just extending it a day longer or pushing it back a day longer as we see i mean we've seen guys go through extremes to make weight for the friday wins what what do you think would stop them from going through the same measures to make weight for the um like the, the, the same day weigh i just think that that's more reckless and it's, and it's more dangerous in my opinion watching that watching that occur so there's that that's added on to the conversation so yeah, in my opinion, I just, I just think that if we look at weight cutting, you have to look at it in a way where it's like, what's the wholesale solution here? What are the multiple steps we're going to take to solve this problem? Because there isn't a, a one um, a one solution fits all. It's not just going to work that way. And then as you know, on top of that, you got to look at, you have to treat women a little bit differently when it comes to weight cutting as well, because we know obviously clearly their bodies are different. So they have to go through something uh, a little they would their the expectations for women would have to be different just because they they may not be able to be held to the same standards physio, uh, physiologically so like there's that but I don't want to I don't want to mess around say something wrong there and 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 yeah so I'm not even gonna touch that 
But yeah, so that was, uh, there's been a lot of conversation going on about weight cutting. I don't know if you heard, Mark Goddard has some pretty interesting things to say on MMA Hour earlier this week. So it's going to be uh, quite compelling to watch. I don't think there's going to be much change anytime soon, even with California adding in those weight classes, because we can't even get the commissions to really adopt the same rule sets at the same time. So how can we expect them to do the same thing when it comes to weight classes? I really just think that this management begins at the team and individual level, these uh, teams and individuals need to kind of do a little bit better, do more um, weight management on their own because guys missing weight, guys and women missing weight is really unprofessional and it really throws a hitch in so many different situations. I mean, it, it just causes so much, so many different problems. I mean, hell, look at Khabib uh, uh, Madoff. He's been on the sidelines still because of, of weight issues and not being able to get down. Um, to get down to the correct weight class. So there's just so many different problems with that. But yeah, that's, that's, that's the end of my rant when it comes to weight cutting. I just think that it's going to be something that isn't going to change too much, something that's always going to occur. I mean, even at the high school and college wrestling level, they've made changes, but that hasn't really stopped the extreme weight cutting that goes into those sports. So with that in mind, I'm going to continue moving on to our next topic, which is, and it's also 8.14 and Shawan has not joined us yet. So I just wanted to go ahead and point that out. He, the man of the hour has not joined us. Let me do something real quick. On. Hello. How you doing, sir? Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry. I had a minor issue with uh my kids and uh their mom was very upset. They uh they actually side note. Everybody knows my kids play basketball. They put out who was on the teams for what, and let's just say their mom was not very happy about the team they were on. <laughs> she was not. She was very upset. Listen, an, an angry mother is more important than any podcast in any part of the world. So do what you got to do. I, I told her, no, we're good now. But I told her, I was like, you know, I got this podcast. And I just ran out of the room real fast because I, I was already out of arms rich. So she couldn't grab me. So okay. I got the okay. podcast. Run out the room. Do me a favor, man. Turn me down a little bit on your end. I can still hear, me. I can, I can hear the echo. Yeah. Th- that better? Yeah, that's better. So um, we were talking about MMA weight cutting. We're not going to go back to it just because we were going back and forth. Or I was, I was talking about the um, developments in weight cutting and what kind of can change and, and solution-wise. We're um, not going to do that. But let's continue on with some of the things that we're talking about today. And I want to go into the conversation around um, Cyborg and Holly Holm. Have you seen their back and forth as of yet? Yeah, I've seen it, and uh, somebody needs to rein Cyborg in, man. I don't, I don't know what they're telling her. What do you mean? Well, like I under, I've seen how she feels like she's being targeted, which I understand that to a degree. But I'm like, when you've had her history, you have to really expect people to be a little bit harsher on you than they would on others. 
you know. I mean, as far as I know, Holly's never failed her test, so even though everything should be up and up and even, I, I don't know that you can really make that accusation. That's a very bold accusation to make for someone who's failed or been flagged more than once. Well, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with you there. Well, actually, she's, she's yeah, you're right. She's only failed one test, and she had that situation earlier this year. Um, when you Are you still surprised that the UFC hasn't made that this fight yet? I'm wondering what's keeping them from making this fight and putting it on the year-end card. Like both women have basically asked for it, so I'm wondering what's really kind of keeping them out of the octagon. I, didn't, I wasn't aware that a, a cyborg had actually signed a new contract with the UFC. I know she fought out her last fight, and so she was done. But I don't know that she signed a new contract. They might be in contract negotiations right now, because I know that she also made a comment about a, an issue with money as far as a fight with Holly Holm and how much she was getting paid. That's true. That's true. They, I, I remember her saying something along the lines of, like, they were offering, they offered her to fight Tanya Evinger more than they were offering her to fight um, Holly Holm, which I think is ridiculous. I would love to see the numbers and see the figures and see if that's actually the case, because I, I would be pretty amazed if they did that. The, the thing I've always had a problem with Cyborg, and I've said this many times on the show, fans of the show know I've said this, and, and you, you'll you be like, he's saying this again, but I have no idea why. I understand why she signed with the UFC to a degree. It's the biggest organization, fine. But it seems like an organization that does not like you. Why would you sign somewhere where people have openly allowed other fighters, male and female, to mock you, to ridicule you, to make comments about you? You even had the, the face of the organization taking shots at you. Why would you willingly sign to a company or want to come back to a company that's treated you in that manner? Ronnie never got treated in that manner. Holly Holmes never been talked about in that manner. Even Misha Tate, who wasn't always on the best terms, was never talked about in that manner. She's getting treated like Tito Ortiz got treated. Like, why would you sign on to go fight for this? fight for this organization when there's other organizations that want you to go out there and will really champion you and push you as a as a superstar and as a champion of their their divisions like why would you set yourself up for that well do you think it's a money thing i mean because flat out no other organization is going to be able to pay her the way they do um and then on top of that you know there are still those people who want to have the toughest challenges just listen looking at what Cyborg has said over the years, I think she does want to be challenged. She's tired. I, I don't want to say she's tired of smashing cans. I don't know. I have. I don't speak for her um, directly. I have not spoken to her. But I wonder if that plays a part in it as well too. Is if like because she could she could go to Bellator and what she will be fighting Julia Budd and um, uh, Marlos Conan. She can go to. She can't go back to Invicta because Mega. Uh, Megan Anderson is gone now, so there's no one really there for her to fight. So I wonder if it's really more about the money or if it's more about the potential for fights to kind of strengthen her legacy. Well, you see, you're you're an intelligent person. So I'm just going to ask you, who was she fought in the UFC so elite? I mean, Tanya Evinger, I mean, Tanya Evinger I like her. I think she's elite. But as far as the, as far as the UFC is concerned, she's not elite. Lena Landsberg is not elite. Leslie Smith, a tough, gritty fighter is also not elite. And even if she fought Holly Holm, that's Holly Holm who's won. One in her last, what, four fights? So who, who's this elite competition that's challenging her? Because she hasn't faced any elite competition in the UFC yet. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you there. I, I think there's definitely the potential of names being there because, uh, I mean, Holly Holm is a name. She may not be... She's a name in the sport, period. I'm not even going to kind of denigrate that in any way, shape, or form. I and mean, you still have... Um, 
Casingano that's looking uh, that's that's still trying to get that fight made. Uh, the opportunity for bigger, more lucrative financial fights are within the UFC, and that's got just that's kind of flat and, and plain and simple. Well, that's true, but those girls to fight Cyborg, like the money they paid Holly Holm to fight Betch, she's not taking to fight Cyborg. The money they paid Casingano to fight Julia Pena, she's not taking to fight Cyborg. They're gonna want bigger paydays. So even though Cyborg's the champ and she's the big, supposedly, the big draw. I don't know that her being on a pay-per-view or being on a show adds to huge ratings. So she's not going to be getting this this big payday that she wants because they're going to have to pay whoever fights her a lot more money that fight. And Holly Holm already makes top-end money in the UFC. We already know that because they talked about that before she got signed to fight the Rousey fight. They paid a lot of money to have Holly Holm, and that's why they rushed her. So Holly Holm's going to get top-notch money, and Holly Holm's organ, her management fought for her to get that money. Obviously, uh, Cyborg's management didn't, I guess. And now they're in the they're midst of a, a negotiation. So can they, it's like, you know, they have to, for a fight to happen, they have to pay both people. That costs money. They have a certain budget. And they want to see a return if they're going to pay that money. They don't mind paying Nate Diaz a million and Connor two million because they know they're going to make that back. Are they really going to pay Cyborg what she wants and Holly Holm what she wants? Because Holly Holm's not a draw. And I don't know that, I don't know that Cyborg is either. I don't know that Cyborg gets you 400,000 buys on her own. I'm not going to disagree with you there, man. I'm not going to argue with you at that point there. Um, so what would you do with her? Who who would, if you had the ability to do matchmaking, who would you place her against next? I would say Holm is probably the best option because even though Holm's lost a few, she hasn't, she hadn't been dominated. When she lost against Tate, it was last second. She was really competitive with Randami, and Randami's a, a top-level kickboxer, so you have to assume that if you use MMA math, that she should be able to at least hang with with um, Cyborg. And plus, Holly's a mover. She's mobile. She's long. She's athletic. So she should be able to present a challenge that Cyborg hasn't previously had to deal with as far as girls who could only stand there and let her maul them or would just come straight ahead and get countered. So it's a, it's, it's a stylistic matchup. So Holmes really the best option. I don't know why they even put Kat Zagano out there. But um, to me, Holmes is the best option. But at this stage, they just need someone who's willing to fight her. And everybody who's willing to fight her wants to get paid a lot of money to fight her unless they fight her to catch weight. So home's the best option as far as money. Home's the best option as far as competition. Uh, that's, that's pretty much it. That's, that's the only option they have. My question is, what do they do? let's say she fights Holmes and Vita. Who do, you, who do you bring in next? There's a very finite number of people, and all the people who want to fight her want to get career paydays to fight her. So can you afford to have her fight somebody who doesn't draw? I mean, I think you got to go with the Megan Anderson fight next. Um, if if they can't get home, they got to go with the Megan Anderson fight next. That's, I, that's just but, all, all I see. But that means you have to put her on a card with somebody of value because nobody is going to pay top dollar to see Megan Anderson fight Cyborg because nobody thinks Megan Anderson can beat Cyborg. Nobody except for Megan Anderson's team who will not be buying the pay-per-view thinks she can beat Cyborg. Do you think that there's something that Holmes' team saw in the Avenger fight that they believe gives home an advantage against Cyborg? Two things. First, I like Holmes' team. Jackson Wink, excellent group. But I almost stopped listening to them the first time they tried to convince me that the reason she was having tough fights early on was because she was holding back. That wasn't true then. It's not true now. Second of all, their biggest thing they're thinking is that home has some athleticism. Unlike most of these girls, home is a comparable athlete to Cyborg. 
home has an extensive background in striking, unlike most of these girls. And like I mentioned earlier, home can actually move around. She's long, she can circle, she can get exit on angles, she can fake, she throws a lot of volume. So in theory, Cyborg should have to work a lot harder than she normally has to work to get her offense off against home. So I'm thinking maybe home can take her late, lay in the rounds and start chopping her down and frustrate her and then chop her down late. That's, that's what essentially I'm thinking they, they're seeing. Because as far as physicality and power, Holmes, Holmes' chin isn't super sturdy. Cyborg can knock her out. Cyborg can definitely outgrapple her, and Cyborg can definitely outwrestle her. What I think they're hoping is that Holmes' style and her length and her versatility with her strikes is going to be enough to confuse Cyborg, to frustrate Cyborg, to extend Cyborg, and hopefully finish her late. Here's a has, has, random question. Has home been dropped at all since she's been in the UFC? Mm, I can't remember. I want to say she did, was against... Uh, did Shevchenko? Dropped, no, she, was, she was dropped against Pennington. Pennington dropped her. Okay, okay. I was just curious. I, had a conversation. I was just curious about that. But um, I think I, this, this is still a fight I want to see, um, especially after all that, all, all the, the Ronda back and forth. No, I, I understand. I, I, I think it's a fight people would want to see. I just don't know it's a financially soluble fight where Cyborg is going to get the money cheap. Like, you know how you were saying earlier, the UFC pays the best money, right? Yeah. Well, Cyborg is expecting to get She's a champion. She wants to get paid like the best. I don't know that the UFC is going to offer her that kind of money because they have to pay. They have a budget. They have to pay home, too. It's the same thing in boxing. I can't just give you all the money you want because I got to pay this other guy, too. They might not have it. They, and home might not agree to less. Home wants to be paid what she wants to be paid for the the challenge she's facing. I don't know the UFC can pay both. I mean, they can. I don't know that they will because they won't get that return on their investment. Because nobody really believes anybody can be cyborg. That's the big thing about it. Nobody really thinks anybody has a chance against him, against her. I mean, hey, you know, I'm not going to disagree with you there. Like, that's definitely been the the mantra for a very long time. And it's just going to be, I, I wonder if it, we're ever going to see it happen, if we're ever going to see her get, um, get defeated or if you ever want to see something happen where she just doesn't look like the rampaging machine like that, that she always does. It's possible. I mean, she's getting older. And like I said, stylistically, it's very interesting. But there's, there's one point I wanted to make. This is what happens when you have an organization that bashes a fighter and then tries to flip the switch and turn the fighter into some kind of fan favorite. The UFC has been running her through the mud for the past year and a half. She's a baby. She didn't take this fight. She had all these special requests. She used this, she used that. They let Ronda take shots at her for years. And now they're trying to sell her. People don't have that short of a memory. They remember all the stuff they said about her. And that's also contributing to the problem. I'm not saying it would have made her a huge superstar, but you made it harder making her any sort of draw or any sort of sympathetic figure by the way you've been running her into the ground for the past couple years. You allowed somebody to openly call her a cheater and a coward and a man. Cause problems whenever, whenever she got into a good position. I mean, hell, the the leader of the organization called her damn called her Wanderlei Silva in a dress. I mean, that's exactly. That's... It's like if somebody asked you on Twitter, "Well, Rafael, what do you think about Shawn?" Shawn doesn't know what he's talking about. He's an idiot, and then be like, "I don't understand why why our ratings are going down." Well, you just told people I'm a moron. Why would they tune into a show to hear me talk? And I'm an idiot. And my co-host said I'm an idiot. Basically, exactly. They sabotage themselves, and now they're trying to make money. And women fights are already hard enough to sell. Men fights are too. They don't have as many legitimate stars, but you have everybody who wants to get paid like they are a star. They want, they think they're 
record and their talent justifies them getting paid, and in a perfect world it does, but they have a budget, and nobody wants to pay someone $500,000 for $100,000 in pay-per-views. That, that doesn't cut. That doesn't make money. Yeah, so I'm not going to disagree with you there. So let's move it on and let's um, talk about our next topic here where we have, speaking of comments and that have been made in recent um, developments, did you see what Dana White said about John Jones and also about Ronda Rousey today? Uh, about how he was no longer invested in Jones? Well, that's part of it. But he also said that Jones is the biggest waste of talent in all of sports. Yeah, I, I, oh yeah, I did hear that, and uh, I'm not a big Dana fan, but it, it's really hard to argue against that. See, I it took. I don't know if I can sit and like, man, I'm sitting here, and I can think of some names that people can probably throw out there, like like the Boz, maybe, and maybe Daryl Strawberry, or maybe um, who else can I think of that maybe, or maybe like a Jason Williams. I'm not sure if in the NBA, I'm not sure if many people really remember him. Um, there are some names that might be thrown out there too as well, but man, like I can't really think of who else I, I could add to the conversation. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's tough and I hate that he's taking because he does have some personal issues that when he takes shots at, at John Jones that I don't like. But man, it's real tough. I, I, I think he's, on one instance, I think he's unfair. But the reason, the reason some of the other, the examples you used didn't work for me is because like you talked about the Boz. The Boz wasn't, he wasn't an all-time great talent. It'd be, to compare Jones, it has to be like comparing him to LeBron James. LeBron James or somebody like a, you know, Ben Simmons or somebody who's a transcendent, all-time great right off the boat. That's John Jones. Or comparing him to like kind of a Floyd Mayweather. But even though Floyd had all these problems, it never impacted Floyd's career. He didn't miss a bunch of fights. He didn't stop racking up world championships. He still was able to compete and do so at a high level throughout his career. John Jones is a transcendent talent. He's beaten almost, what, six champions? He's beaten some of the best guys in the world, and he's done it easily, you know? And he's not able to fight, not because he wasn't good enough, because he wasn't tough enough, because he wasn't skilled enough. He's not able to fight because he can't get out of his own way. So it's like, in that instance, you have have, for you to be a waste of talent, you have to have the talent. And John Jones has transcendent, once-in-a-lifetime talent, and he's essentially defeat. The only person who's defeated John Jones is himself in a telephone pole. Yeah, I'm not gonna. Um, I mean, I'm not gonna disagree with you there, man. That's that's definitely. Uh, I mean, it's hard. Like, I hate to look at that conversation and think of anyone else that would matter in the conversation, but it's crazy close. It's crazy close to try to think of someone who else would fit into that conversation and say, yeah, um, who like, who else is a major waste of talent that isn't, that would make that, that, that would kind of push through that conversation. Who's worse? And I can't think of anyone. Not at the pro level, maybe Todd Marinovich. Cause at one point he was supposed to be the prototypical quarterback. Yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's close. What was the, who, who was the um, other quarterback? God, I can't think of his name. Talking about Ryan Leaf. Ryan Leaf, yes. Now, see, though, and once again, the, you're right on that. But the only reason, the only reason we can't ever go with that is because it'd be like, 
because John Jones actually achieved his potential. Yeah. It was showing. Right, Ryan Leaf never showed his potential. We never saw how good he was. We don't even know if he was that good. John Jones was the best fighter in the world, and he threw that all away. So it's like, like having a Peyton Manning or a Tom Brady maybe or Aaron Rodgers, you know, get suspended for drugs and get suspended for drunk driving and running away from a car. It'd be that comparison because those are the guys who were considered the best in their position or one of the best. You'd have to compare him to somebody of that ilk, LeBron James. LeBron James, by the comparison, has never gotten any trouble at all. And John Jones can't seem to avoid it no matter what he does. Yeah, man, I'm not even, I don't even know what the... My big problem is that Dana's kind of kicking him when he's down. Like, you don't really have to say this, dude. I mean, it might be true, but you don't really have to say that. And I'm because he's he also talked about uh what's her name ronda rousey and he has nothing but glowing things to say about her he says something along the lines of you know she's underrated which okay and he's basically saying look at what she built as if she built like he says she's underrated look what she did she's she look what she built she started it all um you had such a dominant female fighter she was so badass and she spoke well and she was pretty again he goes he's uh that whole combination of what she was built the whole female mixed martial arts f- phenomenon. She was the right person at the right time to do it. Yeah. I mean, Rhonda, as far as her skill, she's a little bit over overrated because she was a really good striker. She wasn't really a good all-around grappler. She had a specific skill set, and she was able to do a couple things off it. She did them very well. She had some little creative things with it, but she wasn't particularly deep in her skill set. But to be fair, all the girls who were currently competing in Bantamweight, with the exception of Amanda Nunes, if Ronda Rousey had her head actually on straight, Amanda Nunes and Holly Holm, all the girls are essentially the same girls from when she was dominant. And I can't really say that I couldn't see Ronda Rousey beating a Julia Pena or a smaller Valentina Shevchenko who wasn't going to throw a lot of volume or beating up a Raquel Pennington. Or, or someone of that nature, like all the girls who, or Amanda Davis, she already beat up Amanda Davis. Kat Zingano was still considered one of the better fighters in the division. She's already beaten Kat Zingano, considered one of the better fighters in the division. She's already beaten Sarah McMahon. Liz Carmouche is considered one of the better fighters. She's already beaten Liz Carmouche. So a lot of the girls she already beat on her way to being the best pound for pound female fighter are still currently competing. So it's really hard to say that she's terrible when she's garbage, when all the girls she's beat are still in the top 10, top 15. And the champion has already lost the girls that she's already defeated. She, I think uh, Nunes got beat by Davis in one fight outside the UFC, and she got beat by Zingano in it. I understand that was years ago, but the fact is, Ronda smoked both of them, and at some point, both of these girls defeated you. So yeah. It's kind, it's, it's kind of hard to say that she's total trash and total garbage when the majority of the girls who, who she defeated are still in the UFC, and they're still pretty highly ranked in the UFC. And I still can't think of maybe more than two or three girls who, if Ronda had her head on straight, I would think that she couldn't beat right now. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not. Um, I'm not saying that. Can you turn me down a little bit? Still, I'm, I can still hear my, my yeah. echo, but I'm not saying that she is overrated. That's not what I'm saying. And yeah, there are still plenty of women that she could get the win against um, in the UFC now. I, what? First and foremost, you know, he he needs to stop commenting on women's looks. He needs to stop doing that first and foremost. Second of all, he said she was the she was the right woman at the right time. It's no the 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 answer is she was actually the most attractive woman at the right time because this is the same guy who drew a line in the sand and said that women will never fight in the UFC until he found this 
blonde-haired woman who was a, a, an attractive individual to the much of the demographic of the UFC's fan base. That's why she got the opportunity that other women did not get before her. Um, and I, then I on, you, go, go ahead. Go ahead. But like I think like that's kind of what is being ignored there because he's making it seem like she pulled herself up by her own bootstraps to make women's MMA be something that is um, recognizable or be something that is uh, respectable. It was built around her because the organization invested in her. That's something different. Yeah, no, I, I think there's some legitimacy, legitimacy to that point. There's a lot of girls, Marlos Kunin, who never got her just due. Misha Tate was a longtime contender, multiple organization champion who never really got her due. I do think her looks has something to do with it. I think the way she came across has something to do with it. But you also have to say, the fact is, Ronda was never really in any, even win or lose, she was never in any boring fights. She just never was. She never, she, to my knowledge, she never missed weight. And when she was winning, she was doing so in a manner that really stood out. Like she was just destroying girls. There was no other girl who was finishing girls the way Ronda was. And for me to act like that didn't play some kind of role in how she was perceived would be would be ridiculous. And I don't think she she really loves MMA. I don't think she reflects the best of MMA. But I have to say she built herself up on some level. I mean, she was an Olympian. She was an Olympic judo, judoka. That's not the easiest thing to accomplish in the world, especially considering some of these girls who fight MMA they weren't high-level athletes. They weren't, if anything, off athletic credentials. Very few fighters could say they had or less um, reason to be supported. And even though I think that looks really played a fact, the fact of the matter is she had to be able to fight. Paige Van Zandt got a lot of opportunities because of her looks. Paige Van Zandt's not the star Ronda is because A, she's not as charismatic, and B, she can't fight as well. I mean, you, when it comes down to it, they can build you up as much as you want, but you have to be able to perform. And up until she fought Holly Holm, even in that fight, she had some moments. She was able to perform. Now, I, I agree with you. They're getting downplayed. But the fact of the matter is, if, if he didn't find Ronda, he was, I don't believe he was going to put women in the UFC. And, and while Ronda was overrated to a certain degree and Ronda got too much credit, the fact of the matter is, she was like a streaking star. And that helped a lot of these other girls who have other divisions to go into. It all started with her. So, to a certain degree, I have to acknowledge this thing. They kind of overrated her as far as like what she really meant to MMA and to women as a whole because. She never shown herself to be that kind of activist on the behalf of other female fighters or, or on the behalf of other women. I've never seen that from her. So they're kind of making her to seem like she's this big, important historical figure. And she, in my, at least from what I saw, she never wanted to be that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you there. It's definitely some um, some interesting back and forth conversation there. I'm just not. Yeah, I just don't, wasn't don't too into the color issue, though, because you, you sound like you're getting awful close to that, because some, some people might say, He's cracking on the black guy and the blonde. I'm, I mean, it, I just happened to open up two different. I was looking at some news today. I just happened to be doing some reading. And I'm like, oh, he has this to say about one guy and this to say about his favorite um, woman. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's par for the course. So, yeah. you know, like that's neither here nor there. But um, at least he didn't call John Jones a thug. <laughs> at uh, least he didn't do that. I'm surprised. Someone, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that that has not happened. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I've actually had these conversations with a couple people, and they're like, I don't want to really make this to be weird, but the UFC attacks certain kinds of people, and they don't attack certain other kinds. And even though Ronda never had any legal issue, she did a lot of things. She acted a solid way. A lot of media said she acted a certain kind of way, and 
you never really heard that get out because the UFC took care of her on that. And they haven't always done that on behalf of other fighters. So while I'm not always that guy, I'm not, I can't, I can't act like that. Isn't, like the point you made isn't very legitimate. Like there's, yeah. there is something to be said about how they treat people with a certain look and a certain style and how they treat other people who don't fit into that demographic. Those people might not get protection. Those people might not get Dana White's patience and understanding. Whereas other people, no matter what they do, they're just always going to be given a pass. And other people, the minute you mess up, it's, I'm disgusted with them, whatever, you know. And uh, anybody who's paid attention long enough can see the, the trend and who gets attacked and who doesn't. I'm not going to disagree with you there, man. So let's see if I had another news piece. That's actually all I had news-wise. So let's, t- let's look into the fights that we got scheduled for this week. I'm going to start with Bellator 185, where we have Gegard Mousasi is making his Bellator de- debut, facing off against the former champion in Alexander Shlomenko. Uh, Sh- uh, Break this fight down for me. Tell me what you think, and how do you see this going? Um, I, first of all, I, I'm guessing Bellator is really hoping this goes better than their last couple of signings, because it's been rough with these, these big UFC signings they've gotten that have not really panned out for them. Um, I really think that Mustafa has faced the better competition. He's, he's the more experienced guy. He's the more skilled guy in pretty much every aspect of mixed martial arts. In general, it really shouldn't be a hard fight for him. He's a better grappler. He, in my opinion, is the cleaner boxer. He's the better wrestler. And he's faced the better athletes and the better skill fighters and the better wrestlers and the better grapplers. So all things given, he should actually, this shouldn't be a tough fight for him. His thing is his physicality, his kind of variety in his strikes, and his power. And those are all valid things to carry over regardless of the competition or regardless of the organization you're facing. But once again, he's facing a guy who's faced guys with big power. He's faced guys with dynamic striking. It's nothing he shouldn't have seen already. So I really expect Musasi to actually quite handily. I really don't see an area that Shlomenko's better than him in. The biggest thing is Shlomenko usually comes out very hard, comes out very hot. And if Musasi kind of gets to a slow start or lets this guy get some momentum, that could be very problematic for him. Because Semenko's shown that he's able to finish guys who are usually known as durable, tough, versatile fighters. He's been shown to finish those kind of guys. And he sets a really high pace and he's a very physical fighter. Past that, I really don't see him winning this fight. I mean, I still think he could knock Musasi out. But at this stage, Musasi has to know what's on the table for him. I can't imagine him coming out flat or him being underprepared or him being, you know, overconfident. I, I couldn't imagine he'd do it with, with the stakes they have for him right now. So <laughs> I really see it as a pretty clear win for uh, Musasi. So um, what do you think they do with him next? Rafael Cavallo is fighting um, Alessio Sokara. I think he's defending the title against him later on this year. Do you think that they put him right in a title picture if he gets a win on Saturday? Yeah, I'd imagine. I, I would imagine they wouldn't want to mess around with it. I'd imagine they want to get right to it and not take any chances with uh with anything and just put him get him right into the title shot and have a and help legitimize their title a little bit because he's a guy who's competed in multiple organizations and been considered one of the top three or five fighters in multiple organizations. So I assume if he wins this fight, they're going right into a title fight next. Kind of the same thing they did with Roy McDonald. To kind of get your feet wet, get your timing down. You haven't been active in a while. Get you familiar with our fans, and then we're putting you right into a title shot. And luckily for him, the middleweight division in Bellator isn't particularly deep. So, I mean, I can't think of two or three more people who have a better resume that says they deserve a title shot before him. 
Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you there. It's definitely um, not a deep division, but it's definitely, uh, you know, I, I can't think of any other guys that are there right now. Yeah, it, I mean, I'm trying to think of people right now. I mean, Alexis Sicaria, like over Gegard Mousasi, you know, Hoffley, I mean, that other guy, he he kind of got, he robbed Melvin Manhoff on the first fight. He knocked him out the second one. I'll give him that. But the first fight, he shouldn't even won in the first place. So it's like, this is really set up for Musasi to come in and dominate. It's really a matter of whether he's going to get the job done or not. You know, if he's going to be able to perform. If he, if he can't, there's problems. And it's, it'd be worse than losses at welterweight or losses at lightweight for Benson Henderson because the guys Henderson lost to could fight in the UFC. They've shown they're at that caliber. They've shown that they would be top 10, top 7 guys, maybe even top 5. Slamenko isn't really considered a top 10 middleweight. And, you know, there's a lot of guys in the UFC I believe would beat him and beat him fairly handily. Maybe in exciting fights, but beat him fairly handily. So Musasi loses to him. That's a really bad, that's a really big setback. That's a really big setback. Because he's supposed to be one of the very, very best at that weight. And if he gets knocked out, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it just impacts their whole signing and it makes them seem like they're picking guys who are on the decline. It makes the UFC seem smart for letting these guys go when they did because once these guys are their, are their organizations, they're unable to do anything. Yeah, I mean, and I, that's what I, and you know, Cub Swanson's actually fighting out his deal too as well. So when his fight against Brian Ortega coming up is his last deal on his contract. So it'll be interesting to see what's next for him when he gets out of that fight because, you know, I, I was talking to Adam about this on Twitter. It's like, is he at that point where he's taking so much damage where we're at the point of um, diminishing returns. So we'll soon see, but the same thing could be said about Gegard because he has a lot of miles on his body. He's been fighting for a long time. He has a lot of, um, a lot of fights there, man. He has, he has a hell of a track record, a great one, but he has been in some fights and it'll be interesting to see what he has left in, in the gas tank starting Saturday. Well, luckily, Friday, he's never me. been. A, he's never been a guy who's been in a bunch of wars and all that stuff. Like he's been in some tough fights, but he's not. A, he's not like a Cub Swanson. I mean, you can think of any six or seven fights Swanson's had that are like wars where he's taken as good as he's given. I don't really know that that's the case with Musasi. He's got a lot of miles on his on his odometer, but he's he's always been fairly defensively responsible and disciplined on his offense. So he hasn't really had to take a lot of beatings or or take a lot of abuse. And he's always seen to while well, he's fought a lot. He hasn't always fought. The very best guys in the world, so it shouldn't it should it should it shouldn't have as much of an impact on him as it would with somebody like Swanson. Like with Swanson, I I'm thinking you know any any time in the next two or three fights he could be gotten, not because he can't fight anymore, but because he's really taking that much abuse, especially in the past year. He's been in like two or three fights where he's just taken tremendous beatings. So uh, or at least recently in the past couple of years against Frankie Edgar, against the Korean Superboy, all that stuff. So it's a little bit it's a little bit different situation. If Swanson got knocked out anytime soon, people wouldn't be so shocked because he's slowing down. Masasi still should be on his upward trend, at least for another year or two. So him getting defeated, especially by a guy who really isn't in his class, physically or technically, that would be a huge upset. People are expecting Masasi to come in here and win. Nobody really said that Henderson was going to go in there and beat Koroshkov. Most people thought he'd be too big, he'd be outclassed. And then when he fought Chandler, people said at best it was maybe 50-50 because of Chandler's athleticism and his ability. But Musasi is a, a clear, clear favorite here. So 
so with that in mind let's look at what else is on the card um i was picking through and obviously you know heather hardy is being pushed as a developing star and you know people are high on her she's getting a lot of interview time getting a lot of press time i was just looking at a video of her where she was where one of her former boxing opponents ran up on the stage while she's doing her wins so she's getting a lot of shine um and they're kind of building her up what do you think about this fight she's fighting christina williams zero and zero her professional debut uh what are your thoughts about that Shwani there? Hello? All right, he just got kicked out. Let me add him back. There you go, Shwan, you're back. There yeah, you go. I'm not sure what happened here. So I was asking you about Heather Hardy. Uh, did you hear what I had to say about her? Uh, yeah, I, I, I've actually, Heather Hardy's a really good find for them. I mean, because since she still competes in boxing, they're getting double the coverage. They're getting double the mileage out of her. Every time she competes in boxing now, they talk about MMA. Every time she competes in MMA, they talk about boxing. And she's the first two. She's the first legitimate two-sport star in mixed martial arts. And there's not that many in any any sport, basketball, baseball, soccer, anything. To to do both sports at a fairly high level is actually pretty impressive. So there's a ton of stories. They could be made for her, and she seems to be the type of person who wants to, you know, be out there and sell herself and, and push her organization and make the most of her opportunities. Unlike some people who just, like I said, just want to fight, want to train, want to win the fights. She seems like she's willing to do the whole, do the whole, take the whole job on and all the responsibilities that come with it, not just, I'm going there to win. She wants to market herself. She wants to market the organization. She wants to take every opportunity she can to give the sport, both sports their props. In the in the media, and not everybody likes to do that. So this has been quite the find for them. They have to be very pleasantly surprised by what she's given them so far. Is she planning on going back to boxing at any point? Because she haven't actually hasn't boxed since May of this year. So is she planning on going back? To my knowledge, she's supposed to try and do both. Huh. Okay. That, that was my understanding. They they allow her to box. But the thing is, in boxing, there's not a lot of a lot of fights. All the people in in women's boxing, it's even more shallow than women's MMA in a lot of cases. There's not a lot of quality fights. There's not a lot of money fights. There's certain places that are going to put you on the undercard when you're a world champion. They're going to put you on, you know, seventh on a card of ten fights. So you're not getting as many opportunities. The reason she came to MMA is the reason a lot of female boxers start looking at MMA because they don't have as many fights in boxing. So they're going somewhere where they can get some fights and where women are getting some attention. I mean, the attention Ronda Rousey's gotten or Misha Tate's gotten or Holly Holmes gotten, what female boxer in the past five or ten years has gotten that kind of attention? Hey, Lali. That's about yeah, that, I mean, that, was, that was before then. Yeah, Christy Martin, Mia St. John. I mean, the only one I, I really watch is, is uh, Clarice, Clarice Shields. That's about it. Yeah, and even Clarissa Shields. She hasn't gotten Shields, as much yeah, attention as some of these other people have. Yes, not. So, you know, it's, it's a vile, unless you're with the right promoter and you have a certain kind of background and backing, you can make more money in mixed martial arts. You can get more fight. There's whole divisions full of girls and multiple organizations you can fight. In women's boxing, you know, there's a lot of girls who fought two, three, and four times because the divisions are so shallow. So it's, a, it's just more opportunities. for. It's, it's hard as that may be to say for female fighters in mixed martial arts, there's better opportunities than there are to be a professional boxer. There's just the talent, the talent pool isn't, isn't there because the money's not there. The money's actually in, in for, it's the opposite in boxing, male boxing and women's boxing. But in men's boxing, the money's in boxing, 
it's not so much in MMA. In women's boxing, there's more money in women's MMA than there is in women's boxing. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you there. Um, so what are your thoughts of, about that fight? Do you expect her to get the win as well? She's fighting someone who's making their professional debut. Uh, I expect her to. I mean, she, she fought, I mean, even though the girl she fought had a losing record the first time, that girl had, like I think, nine fights. And that the person she fought was clearly durable and looked like she had some size on her. And it was much more experienced. So I'm expecting her, when facing a less experienced girl, who I'm assuming is going to be a little bit closer to her size, I think she should be able to handle her. They're moving her appropriately. They gave her a pretty tough test right off the bat. She, she passed that. She got to test all her skills out real time under the big lights. And now she's getting a second time. I don't think they're going to throw her in deep. I think they're going to try to really maximize her. Not, not give her soft touches because with her lack of experience and her lack of amateur experience as a MMA person and pro experience, every fight's dangerous because there's so many ways to lose, but they're going to try to move her up appropriately. I mean, that first win she got, that gave them, that, that more, more, more than paid off the investment they put in her. It was an exciting fight. It was a back and forth fight. And it was a fight that a lot of people were talking about across multiple sports, across multiple forms of media. Yeah, so um, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what she what she's going to be doing this week. And what else do you have? Um, what else stands out for you in reference to this Bellator 185 card? Uh, not a not a lot. They had a lot of fights fall out, if if I recall correctly. And um, it's the same problem. I, I keep saying this, and I feel bad for saying it, but it's the same problem I have with all Bellator cards. There's usually like two or three fights I'm really interested in, and then the rest of the fights are just so so unevenly matched that, that it's hard to pay attention to them. Like Bellator doesn't have the depth that UFC has. They can lose a fight, bring somebody in, and still have it be at least a fairly interesting fight. With Bellator, it's three or four people they have in every division. And outside of that, it's, it's really hard to develop legitimate interest and legitimate care for their uh, cards because they just don't have enough depth. They don't have enough name guys. They don't have enough top guys either. Well, I mean, that's certainly all I had to hear about that because I wasn't really too um, looking at too much for this um, this fight I mean, card. Rickles Rick, Rick was out; he got injured. His yeah, he was out. And um, Gallagher's out too. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of guys they who were they're trying to push as stars and names who Bellator has built up fell out of this fight card, which I mean, and, and they just don't have they don't have the numbers where they can afford to have guys fall out. They don't have like a you know a. Justin Gaethje falls out. We'll bring in Dustin Poirier. Maybe not a star, maybe not as popular, but a familiar name who's fought on multiple cards, who who has a record and enough enough film on him that you can build excitement. Bellator, you lose one guy, and it's like, well, who else do we got? We got Mike Smith from North Carolina, who's seven and seven and three. Okay, well, we've just lost a huge portion of our of, of our viewing public because we don't have a, a fight of a comparable skill of comparable talent to show them now. So that, that's the problem Bellator's had for years, and, it, and it, they just haven't addressed it yet. I guess they haven't felt they need to address it or they haven't been able to address it. But it's the same problem with every card. About two or three really good fights I like to see, and then everything else is whatever I, I can tolerate until I get to the, to the, card, the fights I want to see. Well, there you have it, sir. Let's look at UFC Fight Night 118. And I want to go right to the top here, man. We have Donald Cerrone, Darren Till. Um, I am actually excited about this fight here and i'm interested in it from a from a standpoint in i want to see what till brings to the table 
and he may be someone who catches Cerrone at the right time and kind of and can use this to elevate his name here. But what is what is some of your thoughts when looking at this fight here? Till's walking, he's talking to talk, and he's trying to walk the walk. So what do you see happening here? Well, I admire Till for taking full advantage of the opportunity and not just sitting back there with the typical, I'm just going to do my best. I understand that might be how some guys feel, but when you get the spotlight, you want to talk about getting paid and, and, and somebody pushing you. Me and you have talked about this before. Do some of the work and push yourself. Don't tell me it's just another day at the office and then get mad where I don't push you like it's a big event. You just told me it's another day at the office. You told the fans it's another day at the office. You told the media, but now you want me to push it like it's the biggest thing ever, even though you keep telling me it's another day at the office. You're, 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 hurting, your, you're hurting your own cause. You have to help sell the fight. That's part of being a fighter. Um, Till, I'm, I'm really interested in seeing this fight because the welterweight division is kind of, it's been kind of stagnant. It's a lot of guys in the division right now are in their mid to late 30s. So it's like the division hasn't had enough turnover where they've had younger guys who were on the upswing coming into the top 10, top five. It's really built on guys who were, you know, maybe another year from now, year or two, they won't be elite anymore. So the interest in the fight for me is seeing a young guy who's getting an opportunity to put a stamp on himself and move up to the upper levels of the uh, welterweight division. And as good a martial artist as Donald Cerrone is, and he's the much better martial artist. He's the better wrestler, he's the better grappler. I won't say he's the better striker, but he's at least in the same vicinity, more or less. So he's a better, he's a better all-around fighter, but he's been slowing down. His durability, which I never thought was great, isn't, isn't what it was before. I never thought he was the biggest hitter as far as power. and. Um, as of late, you know, he just, he hasn't been nearly as dominant. Wait, he hasn't really faced top guys. The best guy he faced was Robbie Lawler, who hadn't fought in, what, a year and a half? Everybody else he's faced, you know, Masvidal is a good guy, but Rick Story, Matt Brown, um, Cowboy Oliveira, these are all guys who aren't really elite fighters, and all of them really were able to do a lot of damage and put him through a really tough fight. Whether he, he eventually won them, but it's all fights where he took a lot of punishment and he went a lot of rounds before getting these wins. And I think that's one of the advantages that Till has. Till's a young guy. He's a very big and physical guy. And he's got a lot of advantages over Cowboy as far as the cleanness and his durability and the effectiveness of his striking. The biggest problem for him is, A, he doesn't have as many all-round skills as Cowboy, and B, um, he doesn't really put out a lot of volume. He's a low-volume guy. He slows fights down. He kind of picks away at you, breaks you down, picks you apart, and then finishes you. He's not the kind of guy who works at a very high pace. And so that's, that, that's a, that's a, he's already given Cowboy kind of a, a clear path for victory if he can push the pace, if he can make him work on all fronts, um, actually outclass him. I mean, because he's not going to just have to defend the clinch or kicks or punches. He's going to have to defend takedowns. If and when he gets taken down, he's got to defend ground and pound. He's got to defend multiple submissions, whether he's on the top or the bottom. So Cowboy has a lot, a lot more ways to attack him than Till. Till, in my my opinion, is basically going to come and look in a strike. He might get a take. He might even try a takedown, but he doesn't want to really be on the ground with Cerrone. Cerrone's one of the best grapplers in the division. So I really want to say that Cerrone, Cerrone's going to win it just based off experience and the class of fighter he is. But um. I just don't know. I don't. I don't feel he takes his punishment as well as he used to, and he's been taking a lot of punishment over the past couple of years since he's moved up. Yeah, I think he. I think he's ready to be beaten. I just don't know that Till has the experience, going five rounds, or the temperament. If the if he isn't able to control the pace with his power, 
and uh, his his strike his striking technique. If he has to work at a higher pace, and and Cowboy can get through some rough early waters, I don't know that Darren Till can continue a high pace. He's he's not, he doesn't like to work at one. He hasn't been very effective when he's been forced to work at one. And the higher the pace, the faster the fight's going, the more apt you're going to be to get caught by a strike, a takedown, or a submission. The, it, if it goes at a fast pace, as long as he's able to control the pace, he can kind of limit his exposure to those things. But I don't think he's going to be able to control the pace the whole time. I think experience matters. And Cowboy still has a lot of experience. He still faced the best. And he's got the better all-round set of skills. So I, I'm going to say the Cowboy wins this. I can't say it with a whole degree of faith because... The last time he said he didn't know who somebody was, he got knocked the hell out. And his and I still think that his, his chin isn't super great, but I, I can't downplay the experience and I can't downplay the gaps in skills. Who was the one who knocked him out? Uh, Jorge Masvidal. He said that about Masvidal? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That was stupid. Because after Masvidal knocked him out, he goes, bet you know who I am now. Oh, wow. I, I totally missed that. And every, every time he talks stuff, he talks stuff before he fought Nick, Nate Diaz, he got beat up. He talks stuff before he fought Anthony Pettis, he got beat up. He talks stuff before he fought Masvidal, he got beat up. So I, it's really hard for me to make this pick because he's been talking again. I remember he, I remember he talked junk about Dos Anjos both times. Yes, yet another case. So it was like every time he starts beating on these win streaks and talking about what he's going to do, it just it never ends badly for him. But it's really hard for me to take every single advantage he's had and dismiss it for for a guy who the only the legitimate place I know he's a he's a threat on is on the feet. I mean, Donald's taking down better guys than him. He's fought better guys than him. I don't know that he's probably fought better all round strikers, better all round MMA fighters. So it, he's he's vulnerable, but I'm thinking he has enough class and enough experience to uh, figure this out and win the fight. But if he gets he gets cracked hard or that guy jumps on him right away, um, it, it's gonna go bad and it's gonna go bad really quickly. Well, I'm not going to disagree through there on that, man. I'm not, not at all. If you are, um, if Darren Till comes out with a win here, are we looking at somebody who has the potential to be a star? Uh, yeah, he. I mean, if, if a win over Cowboy means something. I mean, you saw what it did for Masvidal. Masvidal had multiple wins in the UFC. Nobody cared. He beats Cowboy, and we're talking about he's a fight away from a title shot. I mean, he was essentially one fight away from a title shot. Right fight, and then if he would have beat Maya. So I think it creates an opportunity because I'm assuming if Till beats him, it's going to be pretty dynamic and pretty explosive and pretty violent. He clearly knows how to talk to people. He has a little bit of a look, and uh, he's a striker, so that's always a pl- that always a plus that works in his favor. I don't know that he'd be a superstar, but I think they'd have the makings of somebody they could push and get behind and maybe expand the sport. I think he I think he has some of that potential, and you know, win over Cowboy Cerrone does tend to. Uh, do a lot of things for people. I mean, look what he did for uh, Rafael Desanos, Jorge Masvidal, even Robbie Lawler. You know, he beat him, and all of a sudden they're like, "Wow, you know, look, Robbie might, Robbie might be, Robbie might have something. He might only be a fight or two away from the from a, another title fight." So that beating Cowboy means something, and if you beat him in a certain fashion, that also means something. And uh, like I said, they're trying to find younger guys to move up in the welterweight division. It's mostly a division based on guys who are on the decline and aren't, aren't really big draws, and they've had multiple opportunities to become draws. So the UFC is looking to force some new guys in there who got some cachet and maybe have some charisma and can, can develop a fan base and put on exci- the kind of fights that draw fans in. Yeah, that's, that's definitely looking at that there. Um, let's look at 
Carolina Kowalska versus um, Escobel. What are your thoughts on, on that fight there? We've kind of forgotten bad. about uh, KK since she's been out. I feel bad for Escobel because she really should have already been in. She should have at least had a chance at UFC. She fought on Tough House, and they gave the decision to Ashley Yoder. And I have nothing against Yoder, but I don't think Yoder won that fight. The thing about uh, Escobel, she's a good fighter, but she's world-class at a weight, at, at a lower weight class. And her biggest strengths are her movement, the pace she sets, the volume she throws, how she can get in and out, and how she can be effective in the clinch and when she's on top on the ground. Unfortunately, Carolina Kowalkiewicz, all her strength, all, she, she does the same things as Escobel, but she's bigger, stronger, more durable, and better in the clinch. So it's like you're facing a bigger, stronger version of yourself. And Escobel's not a knockout puncher. She's not an explosive puncher. She's not a knockout striker. She's not even really an explosive athlete. Um, Ko Kovacavich isn't like some world-class athlete. You, you saw her get outclassed by Gedalia. She's, I've seen her get outclassed athletically by Heather Joe Clark and uh, Random Marcos. But those are two of the better athletes in their division. Escobel is not one of the better athletes in her division. And she doesn't have any dynamic athleticism to level the playing field. Like, it's not like if she just lands one big shot, she can turn the fight around. So she's facing a girl who's faced better athletes, who's inherently faced better MMA fighters, and who can match her style and her approach, and also has the addition of being bigger, stronger, more durable. So it's really a fight they're giving Carolina, hoping that she's going to win, because they still, to me, the organization has some faith in her, and they're, give, they're basically giving her a showcase fight. It should be a good fight. Because Escobel's going to throw volume. She's going to come to fight. She's very smart. She won't just get blown out. She's got enough skills to make adjustments and to work her way through tough spots. But if you just look at the matchup based on what they do, what they like to do, and the physical tools, and who's faced the better opposition, it's Kovacavich by a mile. They're just trying to get her back on a winning track. Because when she got to the elite level, with the exception of beating Rose Namajunas, and even that fight, we could have went either way, to be quite honest, she's been essentially dominated by the other two best fighters in division. Gedalia worked over. Joanna, Joanna Jadrick beat her with an inch of her life. She had one brief moment against her, and even that brief moment was outshone because then for the next four minutes, she just went back to beating her up. They're trying to get her on a winning path and get her kind of back on a winning streak so they have somebody who they feel they can market in the top five. And this fight is given to her basically for her to win. I know, I think... Uh, I think her prior opponent might have fallen, fallen out, or maybe it was Escabel the whole time. But either way, this, this fight was given to her for her to win. They want her to win. They expect her to win. They hope that she wins so they can move her forward and hopefully get her back on the track to another possible title fight. Okay. I'm not going to um, disagree with that breakdown here. I know um, you know we definitely do cover women's MMA pretty in-depth here, so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not going to disagree with you at all on I that part. Say, I, I like Escabel a lot. But if you look at the habit, you look at um, you look at Jessica Panay. She moved up from she moved up from moved up weight, and she had a lot of issues against bigger, stronger, better athletes. You look at Michelle Waterson. Her and her and Rose Namajunas actually are, are very similar. Yet when Rose was in clinches with her and Rose took her down, it just, it just looked like they were different fighters altogether. She couldn't do anything physically with Rose. She couldn't move her. She couldn't get her off her. Rose hit her clean. Rose put her down. And a lot of that is just the difference in size, strength, and durability. Not there, and it's a big thing to ask for somebody to move up and have to face somebody whose style lines up very well with their own style, but it just has all the physical advantages. It's just 
it's just very hard, whether it's striking, whether it's grappling, it's hard to face somebody who's just as good as you or comparably good, but two times bigger, two times stronger, and two times more durable. And, and probably in better shape than you just because they're moving around a smaller fighter and you're having to move around a bigger one. Yeah. I'm not going to um, argue with that there, man. That's definitely some good analysis there. What else? Aspen Ladd is making her debut um, this weekend as well. Is there anything that you want to see from her? She was supposed to debut a while back, but um, she was pulled off the card. But is there anything that kind of catches your eye about her? I think she has some potential. She's, she's beating some girls who are in the UFC. Um, Amanda Bobby Cooper, for one, she, she dominated her and finished her pretty easily. Uh, I'm just interested to see what she has. I'm always interested when people move up to that other level because you see same people who are knockout artists in other organizations, submission artists in other organizations, they get to the UFC and all of a sudden they're a decision machine. Or they were, they could take the best shots from this class of opponent, then they move up, and all of a sudden they're getting dropped or rocked or knocked out repeatedly by people who aren't even in the top 15 in a certain division. I'm always interested to see how that change in athleticism, where the athleticism bounces out, and the class of the athletes and the skill of the athletes starts raising how people respond to that. The same, it's like when you watch Tough, you see these guys, the girls in the house, look like killers. They go in against the number 23 rank, straw weight, bantam weight, and it's a life or death fight for, for a win, or even, even in a loss. So it's always interesting to see how they adjust. I think she'll be good enough, I think she'll be fine, but I, I'm still interested to see how she handles that adjustment. Because no matter who they put her up against or what level they're at, it's almost a guarantee they're going to be better than anybody she's really taking. I'm not going to argue with that there, man. Definitely some good um, analysis there. Is there anything else that stands out for you about that card? Uh, there's a couple There's a couple fights. Um, it, I say the Martin Hell Martin Hell is always interesting to me because he was a big big signing for the UFC. You know, they got him from Bellator, and he was a guy who was considered young and, and had a chance to really grow. And he, he really hasn't had been able to get any traction. You know, I mean, I know he people say he beat Joe 